everybody. Welcome to Verses from the Void, your foray into horror poetry. My name is Tiffany Morris, and I am here with Stephanie Wytovich. Uh, in Mi'kmaq, we like to say Jalasi, which means welcome, come in and sit down. So Jalasi listeners and Jalasi Stephanie, oh. how are you today? I'm doing so great. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, yeah. Thanks so much for coming on. Um, I actually did not copy down a bio for you. Um, would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So I'm kind of a person who wears a lot of hats in my life. Um, so I, I've been writing and working in poetry uh, professionally for about the past 10, 11 years. Um, I have six poetry collections published with my seventh coming out later this year. But I also write fiction and nonfiction and I work a lot um, in higher education in a couple different roles. So I'm usually teaching, reading, researching, or writing. <laughs> That's pretty much my life in a nutshell. That's amazing. Your life is so like book centric. I love it. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, seven books. That's amazing. <laughs> <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's exciting and exhausting and I don't, I don't know how my younger self did it, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> well, I was like, oh, yeah, I've read everything she's done. Now I'm like, no, I haven't. <laughs> so that's great. That means I have more that I get to read. Um, so oh, thank you. just to start, what, what draws you to horror poetry and how does that inform your poetry writing okay. process? That's a little bit of a loaded question. Um, so I, I've always been drawn to poetry. Um, I like I like reading that I can do quickly, and I think that poetry kind of affords this very intense experience in a short amount of time, which I very much vibe with. And and I like that it's kind of a snapshot or like a photograph of an emotion or a scene, and it's something that I found has really inspired me creatively. So not only getting enjoyment out of it, you know, from a reader perspective, I find a lot of inspiration in poetry as well. Um, but I started writing poetry when I was a child. Um, I've talked about this a little bit in some of my um, my more like personal or memoir essays, if you want to call them that, um, where I was in therapy as a child and I was having a lot of you know difficulty kind of talking about some of the stuff that I was going through. And my therapist at the time actually suggested me getting a journal and, you know, kind of just writing out my thoughts via poetry. Um, I don't know that she was expecting them to be as scary <laughs> as, <laughs> as they were, um, because I've just always been interested in horror and things that are that are creepy. So, you know, I had to bring some of my my spooky goth self into it, as all children do. Um, <laughs> and I just I had so much fun with it and I felt like it was so cathartic and it it just unlocked a different version of myself that I felt like I'd been really struggling to share and open up with. Um, and I, I never really stopped. So I've, I've been doing it for quite some time. Um, and I just, I love it. There's nothing I love more. That's amazing. You had like a total Wednesday Adams moment. <laughs> I, re I really, truly did. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's so cool that even as a kid, like you kind of picked up on, what I think a lot of poets and people who love poetry appreciate about it, which is like that kind of immediacy that it brings, even if it's like, even in a narrative poem or a prose poem, like there's still just something about that mode of expression, I think, that just provides like a shortcut to emotion, I find. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I know for me, I really, I mean, I could give kind of like, I don't want to say like the cliche answer because we all love Poe for a reason. He's brilliant. <laughs> and he's certainly everywhere in my office, as I say that right now. Um, but I, I was wildly influenced by Ellen Hopkins and her, and her poetic novels that she wrote. Um, and I don't know if you've, if you've read any of them, but Impulse was the first one that I picked up as a, um, I don't know if I was in middle school or if it was early high school when it came out, but I was just completely floored with how you could tell a, a story through poems. I'd never experienced something like that before. And it kind of just opened my mind to all the different ways that we can experiment and use voice and kind of use poetry. It doesn't just have to be all rhyme or it doesn't have to be formal or free verse even. It can be thematic and, and a narrative. And I just, I was baffled and I kind of have been on a journey twisting and turning what poetry can be ever since. That's amazing. No, I haven't ever read that. So who is the writer? It's Ellen Hopkins. And she has, oh my goodness, she has so many, <laughs> so many different books to choose from. But Impulse was where I kind of started with her. And they're these really, you know, transformative novels that I think, you know, when we're, when we're teenagers and when we're kids and we're kind of really, you know, going through puberty and feeling all of these really intense emotions, I felt like she really Really highlighted them in a way that I, I didn't have or experience adults talk to me, <laughs> you know, like in that blunt or that, you know, type of um, honesty. And her books really spoke to me that way. Um, and her poetry more so than anything was, was very healing to me. So that's, that's definitely where I got a lot of my inspiration as a horror poet. Nice. I'll have to check them out for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I love reading widely. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, as much as possible. Do, do you do that too, to kind of? Very much so, yes. <laughs> I imagine in the many different hats you wear, you kind of have to also. <laughs> yeah, I try, I mean, I try to live in like the speculative verse because um, I find that that's usually where I'm teaching the most. But I love, I love literary stuff. I love, you know, like the classics. I try to read like a classic or two that I haven't experienced every year. Um, I love reading YA. I've recently been introduced to like Cozy Mystery with Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry and it just shook my world. And so I'm all about the Cozy Mystery <laughs> right nice. now. So, oh yeah, if it's a good story, I'm in. It doesn't take much. <laughs> yeah, I'm so intrigued by genre fiction outside of like SS. S-F-F-H, you know, <laughs> the romance, thriller, yes, absolutely. mystery. Yeah, because like that's a whole other thing and it's huge. It's huger even than <laughs> the stuff that we write in typically. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it's cool to kind of, I mean, everything is going to be inspiration, right? So it's kind of neat to, you know, to read a, a romance novel and be like, hmm, how can I inject horror into this? And then kind <laughs> of, you know, jump around from there. Yeah. And I guess that's a good uh, jumping off point for my next question, um, because in addition to writing the horror poetry, like you mentioned, um, you do editing and you're the poetry editor for Raw Dog Screaming Press and recently created the book Writing Poetry in the Dark. Um, do you want to talk a bit about that book and how it came into being? Sure. So I for the past for the past couple of years, I've I always have students that are asking me about craft books 
and there's there's no shortage of craft books that are out <laughs> on the market. Um, you know, whether they're just on writing, whether on horror, like there's there's a million of them, and that goes the same for writing poetry too. Um, but as speculative fiction, I'm sorry, as speculative poetry has really been rising, you know, these past couple of years, um, I've had more students who are interested in a craft book on speculative poetry, and I, I couldn't really find one that hit um, that hit the points that, you know, were being requested by my students or that I wanted to share. And I have this like collection of articles that like as people would, um, you know, would write things for Medium or Lit Reactor or whatever that I would share with my students, but I didn't have like a concrete like book that I could say here, we're going to study this this semester and this is kind of where we're going to where we're going to take our class. And so I started getting a bit frustrated and then I figured if I wanted it, I could I could create it. And so that's kind of what I set out to do. Um, and Raw Dog um, very was very excited about it and it was right off of Tim Wagner's writing in the dark series that he started and so I got with Jennifer and John and Tim and we all started kind of talking about it and we decided to do writing poetry in the dark which is a collection of essays from some of you know speculative poetries um you know I felt champions of the um of the market so far and I I reached out to some people and I said, you know, I think that you do this particularly well in your poetry, and I'd be really interested to see you kind of write an article about it um, as if you were teaching somebody on this topic. And that was kind of how the book came to fruition. And it's something that I'm hoping to continue. Um, it, it was a very big time investment. and It was, you know, wonderful work, and I was very happy to do it. But I need to I need to take a little bit of a break <laughs> before I jump into round two. Um, but it is something that I think is really important work and something that I want to continue because I think speculative poetry needs a voice and the voices are there. We just have to really scream them from the mountaintop. That's so amazing. I love, so are, you're using it in your classroom? Yeah, I use it in my classroom. I have a couple of, um, a couple of other colleagues who I know who have assigned it in their classes. So it's, it's very exciting. It feels a little bit surreal. I even feel weird talking about it, <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, it's been out for some time, but I, it just, you know, it's, it's always something that I wanted to kind of do. I always wanted to put together a nonfiction project um, about poetry. And so now that it's out there, it's just, it, it's hard to believe it, it was a big bucket list career item for me to do. Yeah. And a much needed resource. Like, like you said, like, I think, interest in speculative poetry is only increasing and there's more and more books coming out in the genre which is yes. just like so awesome <laughs> absolutely and, and that's yeah that's why I would definitely want to continue the series when I can iron out some time to do it because there's just so many wonderful voices yeah and there's so many different dimensions and like even though and I've had this conversation before on this podcast with some other poets too like it's it's fairly old genre poetry, but it always mm -hmm. like feels new and it's just kind of newly, I think, becoming part of like mass consciousness <laughs> instead of yeah. just kind of a niche yeah. interest. And I, I think it's one of those like genre versus literary things, which is, you yeah. know, deeply unfortunate. <laughs> but I think <laughs> yeah. we're I think we're getting to the point where people are starting to realize that they're one in the same. And the battle is maybe starting to like die off. Um, and so there is more of like, a, okay, this can, this can be genre and that's still, it's, just, it's either it can be literary too. And 
you know, we're all kind of just, we're all on the same page. I feel like finally. So yes. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's so nice. I love those distinctions blurring and anytime I've kind of like led like an intro workshop on speculative poetry, like I really try to emphasize that there's a lot of blurring between those and like some of that is just marketing and <laughs> some of that is uh, yes. technique, but really it's just emphasis and it's kind of what reader interest drives too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so do you want to start with snakeskin? Sure, I'd be happy to. All right, so this poem is snakeskin and it was published in the anthology Under Her Skin which was edited by Lindy Ryan and Tony Miller. With wet earth beneath my feet, I drink the moon out of the sky, fill the stars on my face, that familiar trickle down my back. She calls to me, the charmer, teasing me out of my skin. Her voice a summons, a silk wrapped whisper. I dance. I slither, my flesh sags, slides off my bones. I am secrets in sundown, this shedding a sacred act, my body a prayer, a sacrifice to the scales. I slip into myself, collapse, surrender, the serpent song screaming, a hiss, a spell, the poison in my veins. I slide. I shake. This form is sanctuary, venom. My blood a rattle, my pulse a viper's bite. I am tongue forked and coiled, my eyes two opaque coins. Watch for me in the grass, in the water. I am nesting, I am resting. This shape a solitude, a safe haven. Until I stir, I strike. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love the transformation that was like is shaped in this poem. Um, it feels empowering, but also like the voice is under the charmer's thrall. Uh, could you speak to that theme a little bit? Yeah. So I I have gotten very interested in snakes <laughs> over the past <laughs> couple of years, and I don't know if it's you know I've been researching the archetype of the witch for five or six years now. And I don't know if those two are just, you know, going hand in hand with each other or what. Um, but I really like the idea of how, you know, the snake is a symbol for rebirth and transformation, healing, immortality. Um, but it, it also kind of has this, you know, very strong sense of sensuality and sexuality attached to it. Um, and I, I wanted to write a poem that kind of wove like goddess imagery with like Eve and Lilith and Medusa and kind of talk about the power of bodies and the ownership of them, this awakening um, of the self, of the witch and how women are kind of always going through transformations in their life. And so that was kind of where I was, where I was trying to go with this, where we were, were kind of, you know, being seduced into the next phase and embracing it and kind of walking into it with a lot of power. That's so awesome. Yeah, that definitely comes through. And I love, I also love snake symbolism. <laughs> I'm getting a tattoo of a snake yeah. in a couple of weeks. I'm really excited. <laughs> yes, 
that's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> I'm like, it's a healing tattoo. Let's do this. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> it's interesting too. Like, I feel like, you know, when you think of like the biblical associations with it, it's like that sin, but it's also like related to knowledge. And it's like, that's yeah. like a refutation, I guess, of like, uh, like the patriarchal idea that women are not empowered by knowledge, you know, <laughs> like it's ties to mystery oh, yeah. and witchcraft, like are kind of inherently empowering for women, I think. And I, I read something a while back and I wish I could remember where I read it, but there was a theory about if the snake wasn't actually like the, the devil figure, but if it was actually Lilith, who was kind of reaching out to Eve and telling her that she could have knowledge and power and equality. And I read that and I was like, oh my God, that's so wonderful. <laughs> and that's just how I'm going to choose to believe it from now yeah, on. Yeah, that makes so much sense to me. <laughs> and, yeah, <laughs> right? I was like, yes, that is how it, how it should be. <laughs> Granted, like, I don't know enough about <laughs> those stories oh. to know for sure. But <laughs> to me, I'm like, yeah, that's me valid. Either, but that's <laughs> Yeah, that's where that's where I'm gonna lean into. <laughs> uh, one of the other things that struck me about the poem was the repeated S sounds in the third stanza, and that kind of reinforces that symbolism of the snake. Uh, what role does sound play in your writing and in this poem specifically? So with my poetry, I I have kind of a weird writing process where I, as I'm writing, I'm constantly saying everything out loud, especially with poetry, not so much with fiction, but I definitely definitely am paying attention to sounds and I, I don't do a lot of rhyme, but sometimes I'll, I'll play with it a little bit. Um, but for this one, I really wanted to challenge myself to see if I could get the poem itself to sound like a snake. And it was way more difficult <laughs> than I imagined. And I felt like a crazy person sitting in my office, like <laughs> hissing and slithering and like making all of these sounds. <laughs> and it was, yeah, it was a really wild ride, but it was so much fun to try to, to, to have an idea for a poem based on a sound and then kind of build it out from there. Um, and it's definitely something that I want to play with more, but yeah, it was, it was a challenging exercise <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Like the, the listeners can't see this, but it's also like, has a bit of a slither to it on the page. Yeah. <laughs> the I dance, I slither, I slide, I shake, I stir, I strike are all kind of indented. So um, yeah, the whole thing kind of like yeah. felt like that movement of the snake out of like shedding skin out of the snake charmer basket, like that whole thing. <laughs> and it's so hard, like it's a hard poem to read out loud too, because you get so wound up, <laughs> like your tongue gets tied very quickly. Um, which obviously is intentional and I kind of want that to happen because I want it to be, I want it to be hard to speak um, because the transition is supposed to be difficult. You know what I mean? So it, there's a lot of mimicry that's kind of happening on the page and then in the reader's mouth as they're kind of going through it. So it was, yeah, it was a lot of fun to write, but definitely very challenging. <laughs> Yeah, that's a great, that's a great buildup, you know, to the very end where it's like you get to breathe and you stir and you strike. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that's a good ending. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so do you want to move on to the Crone Confessions? Sure. So the Crone Confessions was a piece that I wrote for issue one of Black Telephone, 
magazine, uh, which Lisa Canerall put out through Flash Books. And this was some more experimentation that I was doing um, with the archetype of the witch. So again, this is the Chrome Confessions. When I dream about swallowing my teeth, I often wake up hungry. I wonder if it has something to do with the way the moon watches me at night, how it glues itself to my window, tonguing the glass like a hungry wolf. Confession, on Tuesdays I crawl up the wall, a shadow, only to shove mugwort in my eyes. It burns the way my thighs did when the noose didn't work. And I've noticed a dying bat resting between my shoulder blades, quiet like the still suffocated night, we screech like sisters, our see-through bodies, a paper jacket, a satin sheet covering a shapeshifter, a hysteric stone hag raging in her own filth. Confession. On Saturdays, I fill the bathtub full of piss, only to laugh when I drink it. It tastes the way my womb did the morning I carved it out. Get awake on this ceiling, I masturbate to the sounds of cardinals. My mattress, a nest, a beaten and bruise. My skin, a wrinkled dress I've long since taken off. Thank you. Oh, my God. Every time I've read this, like, because I, I read it ahead of time, listeners, and develop these questions, like, every time I read it, I'm just like, I love this poem so much. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I love how confrontational the body symbolism is because like there's abjection in the presence of images like piss and then there's sensuality and like the burning thighs and the masturbating. Um, and I think it's confrontational because you draw so much attention to the aging female body to the point where it can't mm -hmm. be marginalized or ignored. Can you talk about that, Joy? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted I wanted to do something that's specifically focused on aging, because like you said, it is something that I feel like culturally we, we kind of just not necessarily ignore, but choose to look away from um, so many witch stories and witch movies kind of focus on the maiden. And then when we get to the mother, it's always this monstrous form. Like we never really see a lot of positive things happening with moms in horror. Right. Um, not that we necessarily see positive things happening with Crohn's either, but <laughs> I, I feel like those stories just, you know, they haven't really been told and they haven't been highlighted. And I wanted to, I wanted to start tackling that. And I did want to show this kind of hybrid nature of, you know, the hag, but also still like the sensuality and the hysteria, but still the power that comes from wisdom and to show a woman who was just so, so okay and proud and comfortable with who she was that nobody could look away or challenge it. And she is, I mean, she, I, I don't know that she's a super friendly, you know, character <laughs> in here. I don't know no. that people are going up to her house and having tea with her. Um, but I also don't think she cares. Like she's, she's completely fine with who she is and the magic she's doing and um, the life that she has. And that's very empowering to me and something I think, all women are kind of striving for. We want to feel comfortable with ourselves and, and get to this place where we're not caring about what anybody thinks. And I, you know, I hyperbolized that <laughs> and injected <laughs> some some horror into it. But that, that was kind of the vibe that I was looking for. 
Yeah, like she's certainly not goals this crown, <laughs> but she, you know, she's no. <laughs> so like just real and terrifying, like this figure you created. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let me get to that question. Oh, yeah. So I was also curious about how time operates in the poem, because it you lay out the days of the week as kind of a framework in the confessions themselves. Could you talk about that choice? Yeah, so I, I teach Margaret Atwood's poem, Half Hanged Mary. And that poem is kind of laid out um, by the hour that there is a woman mm. that there's a woman hanging um, for witchcraft. And so after teaching that a couple times, I knew that I wanted to play, I wanted to play with time, not necessarily in a similar way that she did, but with kind of with days of the week or alluding to this absence of time or this long amount of time that's stretching, you know, between my woman kind of being on the ceiling and then all of a sudden being in this, like, in this bed that's also kind of a nest um, at the end of the poem. And I chose Tuesday and Saturday um, specifically for the confession. So Tuesday um, is, is Mars Day. So it's the day of the God of War. So it's, you know, it's, it's a day that's evoking strength and fire and courage and rebellion and we have this image of this woman who's kind of crawling up the walls and positioning herself on the ceiling and talking about how these people tried to kill her and it didn't work. And nothing feels more like <laughs> intense to me than that, than the fire coming, you know, from, from that act. And so as she's kind of up there and she's meditating and then when she gets to Saturday where she's confessing again, Saturday being Saturn's day. So we have kind of this celebration of the God of karma and violence, um, kind of embracing drama. And it, it's kind of this like punch in the face with her magic. Like she's filling the bathtub full of piss. She's laughing, she's drinking it. Um, she's carving out her womb. It, it's kind of a, a fuck you to the patriarchy again. Um, and I, 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 like, again, I wanted to kind of, feed off the same energy that Atwood put in her poem, but with a more genre spin on it. So that's kind of why I picked those days and laid out the confessions the way that I did. That's awesome. So that's like, there's witchcraft woven into it too. <laughs> yes, very much so. I try to do that as much as possible. I, I often think of poetry as spells and, and mirrors and stuff like that anyway. So I think it's, it's a very intentional way to make the words count. That's great. And yeah, that, that imagery of uh, like climbing onto the ceiling is terrifying. I, like anytime I know, every I'm time talking about a horror, horror movie, film. I'm just like, no. Yes, I know. It's, uh, yeah, that and the crab block, no matter when it's happening, it's, it's always horrifying. Yeah. We used a great effect here too. Yes. <laughs> Uh, okay, so do you want to move on to As the Crow Flies? Sure. So As the Crow Flies is from my science fiction dystopia horror collection uh, titled The Apocalyptic Mannequin. All right. In a chair next to a window, there is a girl, a shadow, a wilting orchid. When no one is looking, a petal drops, a rib pokes out, 
A flutter of wings hits the glass like bodies on pavement. The sound expanding, growing, blossoming like cancer until it stops breathing. The emptiness of pressed crow, a tarred feather. All those little feelings marinating inside of her like grinding teeth and blood clots. The crowded room now filled with nothing but ghosts. Thank you so much. Yeah. It feels like the horror is a little quieter. At this <laughs> yeah, this <is> certainly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like this, this voice is not uh, is not confessing the way the crone is just kind of like <laughs> reveling. In... <laughs> yeah, yeah, the crone's reveling. This one's just kind of fed up and <laughs> ready to disappear, which is horror on another plane, but definitely yeah. a different tone. Yeah. <laughs> To me, like it felt like a painting, like the way the images are described to the reader kind of sketches a specific scene, yet there's also a sense of life to it. Um, could you talk a bit about the tension between movement and stillness? Yeah, so that's, I mean, that theme in general, movement and stillness, is something that's very present in the Apocalyptic Mannequin um, collection in general. Um, so I wanted, my vision for this for this book was I wanted to tackle, oh goodness, I wanted to tackle just the idea of a dystopia, of an apocalypse, of, you know, running out of air. So there's a lot of eco horror things that are happening in this collection, consequences for our past actions. And so there's a lot of running and there's a lot of hiding. There's a lot of, like you said, movement and stillness. There's a lot of being really terrified and running for your life. Um, and this poem specifically is, it's kind of at a point in the collection where they are in this stillness and kind of reflecting on what's going on outside, what's going on around them and how they're slowly starting to fall apart and decay and be held accountable for everything that they did and everything that they didn't do. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, because my next question is about the closed in feeling. So it's like the crow flying into the glass and then the room itself and the girl having feelings marinating inside. Like there's that suffocating quality where it's just like it's so tense and like that. Yeah, yeah. that that hiding. <laughs> yeah, quality and, comes it, through. and it was really funny because so it's something that I've become hyper aware of. Um when I because I work with Jennifer she's my my primary editor and she I always tell her to kind of look for repetition because I will get fixated on a particular like movement or image or just word and it kind of permeates throughout the whole collection without me really becoming aware of it <laughs> and with this with this particular one it was breath and so it was always somebody like huffing and trying to catch their breath or or being suffocated or having the wind pushed out of them or or falling or something like that um and so yeah that that was certainly something i had to be accountable for and then you know a theme that um unintentionally wove itself throughout the collection that's interesting though right because like mannequins don't breathe no <laughs> <laughs> There's a real like upending of reality there too, right? It's like because mm -hmm. the apocalypse is happening, like all of these realities are kind of collapsing in. So I can totally see how that that tension works. 
Thank you. Oh, there's my cat. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear her. She's very loud. <laughs> oh, I can't, but I love that we have a, a familiar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's a very needlessly intense little creature. I love her so much. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to identification. All righty. So this one is also from Apocalyptic Mannequin. I identify as haunted, as a broken violin, a forest wrapped in fog. If you look between my legs, you will find an empty library, each shelf a collection of ghostings, blank signage for a dimly lit hallway, a spider web, an unfinished opera. I am neither a baptism dress nor a wedding ring, a wake photograph nor a satin lined bed. If you call, I will not answer. If you run, I promise to hide. But inside my chest beats a jewelry box with no sound. Walks an orphan forever flipping pages of an unwritten book. If you pick up the rose on the table or smell the salt stuffed into my mouth, you'll find my future in my palms, my past written in burn marks on my back. Just wrap your wounds carefully, for I am a host of century-lost diseases, an epidemic, a long-forgotten plague. And if you hold a seashell up to your ear, it will whisper the endings to every poem. My signature, a cockroach, the poison you left out for the rats. Thank you so much. Thank you. That one goes more intense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I have the crow fly. It's, it's less energy. quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's like a persona poem that resists persona. So like the poetic yeah. voice, there are many different things that are like empty or destroying. It also tells us what they are not. What was your motivation playing, behind playing with identity and persona in the poem? So again, and I wish I could give credit where credit's due, but I honestly, I, I can't remember. But I I was somewhere or I read this somewhere um, where the um, the exercise was to write how you identify. Um, and so it was an exercise, you know, for poetry based on gender and um, identity and things like that. And so, of course, I sat there and I was like, well, I, I don't want to. I don't want to do what they're asking me to do because that's just never how I, never how I've shown up before. Um, and so I started thinking, like you said, how I can answer the question, but also not answer the question because I don't think things are ever black and white. I think we're always kind of somewhere in the middle, um, trying to to find ourselves. And so I thought about all the things that um, you know, like when I close my eyes and I think of myself and things that I'm drawn to um, or things that I find beautiful. And I started writing them down um, in my notebook and then I started working them into my poem um, kind of in a way where like, if you saw this, you would think of me, not necessarily as, you know, I am Stephanie, I am female, this is how hear me roar <laughs> type of thing. Because <laughs> um, I, yeah, again, I don't, I don't think that as, as humans, we're that simple. Um, so I wanted to kind of inject the horror, but also inject myself and kind of put a poetic spin on the exercise. 
Yeah, that's really interesting because I think that that makes a lot of sense in terms of like how we tend to also think of our lives. Like it's not, you don't wake up every day and say, oh, you know, like I am Stephanie and <laughs> this is where I live and this is what I'm doing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, we think about the images that have resonated throughout our lives and like different memories that hit different emotional states that we're in. So, yeah, it's interesting yeah, that you kind it, of, like, draw out that impressionistic self-portrait kind of thing. Yeah, I'll blame that on the art history background. <laughs> I try to, I, I, I always, I, I felt like I could have gone either way with my life because I so desperately, I loved art history and I wanted to, I wanted to put my whole, my whole soul into it. But writing always, you know, had such a grip on me. Um, that I, I couldn't let it go. So I try to I try to pull painting and art and photography and stuff like that into my poetry and into my teaching as much as I can. Because especially with poetry, I mean, it's just rife for inspiration. Um, so I think I think the two marry each other nicely. Oh, that's awesome. That makes a lot of sense. Because like one thing that I really appreciate about your poetry is like the really striking images that you're always drawing up and how they play with the action of each poem so it makes sense that oh thank you oh yeah of course like it just like resonates that way as you're writing have you ever thought about doing like a suite or like a whole book of ekphrastic poems i have um i i have this like i have this project in the back of my head that i've wanted to do i've wanted to do for quite some time um but then, you know, I, I had Evie and <laughs> it's, it's hard to find some some quiet moment right now. So I'm kind of I'm waiting till things get a little softer Fair. <laughs> in my life <laughs> to, dive, to dive into that. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. That's awesome. Is there a particular period of art history that resonates with you that you particularly like? So I I love the Surrealists because, of course, I do. Um, <laughs> but I also I really um like one of my favorite painters is Francis Bacon mm. and I was very very fortunate um when I was in Ireland to be able to go to the museum where they had his um his studio on display and it was such a a like spiritual experience for me like I when I was in undergrad I, you know I was I was kind of having this hard time discovering where I fit religiously and I went to Italy on a study abroad trip and I kept hoping that you know and I would go into these chapels and I would I would have this really big intense moment that kind of swayed me one way or the other and it just it didn't really happen but when I stood in front of Francis Bacon's studio I like was sobbing uncontrollably and I had such a visceral spiritual reaction to it um and his paintings are terrifying, but <laughs> <Like> they are <laughs> absolutely horrific. Um, and like him and like Francisco Goya and, and like Saturn devouring his child and the screaming Pope, like they they hit me on such a weird level. And I would love to kind of look at the body of their work and maybe maybe go that route, which is which would be difficult in a lot of ways because I feel like I tend to be very feminist in my horror and I try to focus on representations of women and art and poetry and literature. And so now I'll be working with men who are interpreting women and painting women. And I, I don't, 
it could be really great or I could feel terribly at it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not sure, but that's where I keep feeling drawn to. So oh, we'll see. I think, yeah, I think that just means you'll find a really interesting take on it. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. I believe you're up to the challenge. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Gosh, I, I can't even imagine what it'd be like to see Francis Bacon pieces in person. Cause yeah, like, to see the textures and stuff like it's already so visceral yeah and, like was, seeing it on the internet <laughs> yeah it was it was incredible it was definitely a, a huge highlight of of my life so far I felt very very grateful and I was very lost in the city for a very long time trying to find it so I'm just so <laughs> grateful when I found my way into that museum so yeah absolutely <laughs> where in Italy was that so the Francis Bacon's uh, studio was actually in Ireland and it was in Dublin. Oh, okay. I was like, <laughs> and then I, I think, I think when I, but having said that, when I went to the Vatican, I'm pretty sure I saw one of Bacon's paintings in there too. And it, it might've been the Pope. It might've been the screaming Pope, which just feels insane to me now. What? Um, <laughs> but I'd, I'd have to, I'd have to go back and look in my journal, but I'm pretty sure that, I'm pretty sure that I saw one of his paintings because I can remember like my group was leaving and I stumbled upon it and I was like, yeah, go on without me. I'm not leaving. I need to spend some time here. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure they had one of Bacon's paintings in the Vatican when I was there. The Vatican, cooler than I thought. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> I'm probably rewriting all of that history in my head, but at least that's how I remember it. <laughs> People are going to go and be like, there's no Francis Bacon here. What the hell? I know. <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. Oh, what not be a twist. I'm all of, after all of this witchcraft, I'm working for the Vatican. <laughs> I'm just, I want everybody to go there. <laughs> that would be so funny. <laughs> also, to go all the way to the Vatican just to see a Francis Bacon. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I like it. Oh, like there's other stuff around you'll be fine yeah, i'll find something else for sure <laughs> i hear there's other art there <laughs> uh, oh memory <laughs> <laughs> now i kind of want to go though so i know i'm gonna have to fact check this like as soon as we're done here because i gotta know if i'm lying or not <laughs> what my brain's rewriting good god oh that's funny uh, so uh, both this poem and As the Crow Flies, like you said, are from Apocalyptic Mannequin. Do you feel like these two poems are particularly representative of that collection, or are they kind of like separate from what you were talking about, the themes? Because it seems to me like they blend in well with what you were saying. Yeah, I, I would say that they're representative. They're certainly two of my favorites in the collection. And like we kind of talked about, one is kind of softer and one is, you know, more on the intense side. And I feel like that's kind of how the collection itself ebbs and flows. So I think that that's a good kind of overview for what readers can expect when they dive in. Um, and I wanted to kind of play with that idea of like, okay, this one might make you feel safe, but just kidding, you're endangered. <laughs> like right. that type, of, that type of, of tone seesawing throughout the collection. So yeah, I would say that they're representative of what readers could expect. That's excellent. Is that something you kind of um, try to keep in mind for your collections, like that ebb and flow, or are there some where you just like kind of want to 
emphasize intensity or I guess how much of a break do you try to give readers? <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> um, it depends. It, it honestly, it depends because so each of my collections are thematic. So they're, they're all kind of following, you know, a very similar journey. Um, you know, with like, so Hysteria was my first collection and that has no breaks. Like you are, mm are in like a slasher movie and like there's <laughs> you're just not getting out of it morning jewelry <laughs> was was my sophomore collection and that one's kind of this like quiet ghost-like um ethereal type of type of horror um and then the other ones like I said they, they all kind of have their tone but mannequin felt very different to me because I I did like when I think of the apocalypse and when I watch dystopian movies or read dystopian books, there are these moments of where you feel like, okay, we made it, we're safe. And then the siren goes off and you realize you're not, or the zombie, the lone zombie starts walking at you from, you know, 500 yards away. And you're like, okay, the rest <laughs> of them are going to be here. So I wanted to kind of play specifically with, with that. And also kind of, like I said, you know, there is this like eco horror um vibe to it as well where it's like okay we may be safe right now but at what point is everything that we've done to climate change going to come back and get us like is our safety actually danger or how are we kind of interpreting that so it's a this one was a little bit like i was aware of the shifting in tone um but that's not something that i always do it just kind of depends on what the theme calls for in the collection yeah, that makes sense. Like, especially like you said with apocalyptic mannequin, because if you're facing down apocalypse, then it's going to be a lot of ebb and flow. And yeah, given that yeah, we're living in pretty apocalyptic, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, like, yeah, anything could change at a given moment, and that's kind of how I wanted the poems to to come off. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, so we can move on to the last poem, uh, Family Offerings. Alrighty, so this one was published in the Southwest Review, um, which was edited, um, this issue was edited by Andy Davidson, and the poem itself, I felt very fortunate um, that it actually won the Elizabeth Matchett Sober Award from Southwest Review, so this one has a very special place in my heart. Oh, awesome. All righty, so family offerings. You pour the tea, I'll call the coyotes. Make sure the violence is bottled, ready to sell. If the attic door is locked, simply remove it, but keep the basement flooded. We need the echoes of drowning in the house, the smell of flesh and mildew on the walls. Have you called the plumber? I think there are still bones in the sink, the toilet stuffed with parchment. We're still missing the rotted corpse of a bat. I did the laundry yesterday, washed the sheets twice, three times for luck. They're folded outside in the cemetery to keep mother warm. There was something else, an appointment, a missed call. I scheduled the exorcist to revive them, made sure the herbalist will plant the poisons when they're gone. You picked up the pomegranates, yes? Made the dandelion wine? The caterer should be here at midnight. I already sampled the host. They're serving everyone's tongue as we speak. Now it's just cookies and thorns, the candied petals of violets, the arthritic sound of grandmother's limp. Make sure the table is set. 
the brick dust removed from the doors. I washed the windows with candle wax, already covered the mirrors. It won't be long now. I can already hear them moving in their graves. Eep. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> Chilling ending. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing, like, hearing it and reading along again, I'm like, oh my God, this vibes so much with Crone Confessions. And like, I didn't even realize yes. it. <laughs> like, I mean, they're doing different things, but I'm like, ooh, like, there's. Um, like a chilling inversion of domesticity um, in this poem and in Crone Confessions. And like, it feels like every line in family offerings sets you up for something that could be comforting or familiar. And then it's like, it's distorted and it's so impactful. Could you talk about that? Yeah. So my, my inspiration for this poem was I, okay. So my family is very weird just like I am <laughs> very weird. and we grew up in a very very small town um and we were kind of like the Adams family of where where I lived and <laughs> I have such a deep love and appreciation and connection with the Adams family and so I wanted to write an Adams family-esque poem that kind of played with you know the Sawin theme of of you know, welcoming the dead and welcoming your family and kind of setting up the altar and, you know, the ofrenda and the table to welcome everybody back. Um, and so I tried to think of all the things that I would do if I'm preparing for a company to come over versus how Morticia on Wednesday <laughs> and Pugsley would actually prep their mansion. Um, and that was kind of kind of how it came out. But I wanted I wanted to do this focus on domesticity, like you said, because I wanted to do an inversion of, you know, kind of the the things that we associate with femininity. So like the you know the the clean pressed dress and the high heels and the pearls and kind of the the 50s housewife getting everything clean and soft and very feminine, and then flip that to kind of washing the windows with candle wax or digging the bones out of the sink. I wanted very like feral, still domestic, but kind of unhinged versions of that to kind of showcase again, that, that women can be more than one thing. Yes, oh my God. So now I'm just like, as the crow flies is maiden and family authorings, offerings is mother and then crone confessions is crow. <laughs> I'm just yeah, ordering your poems for you in my head. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. I love that thinking about it as like an Adams family type thing <laughs> makes it less scary to me. I know. Yeah. It, it makes it me camp. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm, yeah, that's interesting because I'm like, is it still chilling? And like, it kind of is. So like, would the real life Adams family be kind of stressful to hang out with? I don't know. I know. <laughs> I came over to someone's house like this I might be a little like hmm. you yeah your, your gut would be telling you one thing but <laughs> yeah <laughs> I love all the images in it too and like the presence of nature in the poem like the coyotes and the dead bats and the pomegranates and the dandelion wine it's like none of it feels totally natural and I guess you were getting at that there but do you want to elaborate on those elements yeah, so I, like I 
like we kind of talked about before, I like injecting witchcraft into the poem when I can. Um, and so I wanted to use the bat, especially, so it said what, we're still missing the rotted corpse of a bat. Um, bats being representative of kind of this letting go of the old and welcoming in the new, um, but the bat is of course rotted and dead. So instead of welcoming family, they're welcoming in the dead. Um, so I tried to kind of twist that symbolism a bit. Um, I use coyotes, uh, quite honestly, specifically because I'm a huge Leonora Carrington fan. I love her artwork. I love nice. her writing. She is just like queen witch woman extraordinaire to me. <laughs> and yeah. she loves coyotes and she loves like <laughs> horses and stuff like that. So I try to, I try to sneak her in to my work when I can. So that was kind of more of a, of a homage to her. Um, and then kind of like the, um, the thorns and the dandelions, you know, for me, once it gets nice outside and I, I was fortunate to get to do it once this year, like I always try to like welcome spring and summer and I go out and I make like dandelion fritters or I'll make, you know, dandelion tea or wine or dandelion burgers, something like that. Um, it's kind of like a thank you to the earth for providing me with food. And so I wanted to kind of, again, spin that and have them use dandelions as, you know, this kind of like transformative flower that's all growth and healing and transformation, but put it out as an offering for the dead to consume instead. Um, so I, I was kind of playing again with, you know, what things typically are versus, you know, what the horror version of them would be. Try to make what seems sweet scary. Yeah, that's so cool. I could totally see this being a painting by Leonardo. Yeah. Oh my God. Yes. Like, yeah. <laughs> she would do uh, an awesome painting of this poem. It'd be so cool. That'll be an afterlife bucket list yeah. <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah. Try to contact your spirit. And be like, what do? <laughs> yeah. do I Listen, this? when I cross over, if you could meet me with this painting, it'll just make everything easier. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm sure she would appreciate the poem tribute, too. <laughs> uh, I hope so. She's just, she's so wonderful. I yeah. admire her so greatly. Yeah, she's one of my favorites, too. I read, um, is the title White Rabbits or The Rabbits? I can't remember. I think it's The Rabbits. But yeah, I, I think, I think that's what it is. It's been a while since I've read it, but I know what story you're talking about. Yeah, the first time I read that, I was just like, what? Like, yep. My yep. mind was blown. I was like, I need to read everything this woman has ever written. <laughs> she is just so delightfully weird. Like yeah. her mind is just, oh my God, it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. I was like, how does she write exactly like what her paintings are like? Like, I know, right? It's <laughs> exactly what you would imagine from her. It's wild. Yeah. Well, maybe you could include Leonore Carrington in your possible. Oh gosh, I would, I would love it. You're giving me so many ideas. I'm not going to be able to keep up with them. <laughs> yeah. Just write it down for when you get a chance. <laughs> yes. <No yes>. <laughs> cool. Well, that's all the poems that we had. Was there anything you wanted to let the audience know about before we go? Um, so I, I can't give too, too much information away just yet, but I will have a poetry collection coming out later this year. Ooh, um, and yes, I'm so excited. And I wrote it three months postpartum and it 
is very scary <laughs> for lots of different reasons, um, but it very much deals with the personification of the mother Ooh. in regards to horror and the roles that she plays. Um, so I'll be, it, it's a little bit different um, from my work so far. So it's kind of a little bit of a pivot, but I wanted to try something new. And right after I had a baby, so seemed like the right time to do it. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. But I'm very excited. And I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing it with everybody soon. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited to read it. Thank you. Yay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you next time.